As you turn to your Bible, Luke 10, 25, let me remind you that uh, two weeks ago, the week before Easter, I brought a message called Your Area of Operation or Your AO. And so I don't want to re-preach that message, but I'm going to bring part two. We're going to expand on the idea of the fact that God has given each of us an area of operation and furnished us with grace in our life to operate in that area. And so I want to continue with that message, and if you would... Read with me, uh, beginning in Luke chapter 10, in verse 25. And behold, the lawyer stood up and put him to a test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer desiring to justify himself. Let me pause for a moment and let's maybe just zero in on what's going on in the lawyer's mind. The lawyer asks, what I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what's the word say? He says, well, the word says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, well, that's right. Do that and you'll live. So the lawyer Now the ball's back in his court, and he's thinking, well, I'm feeling a little convicted. I haven't really loved all of my neighbors or loved my neighbor as I should. And um, so let me get a little clarification from Jesus. So the lawyer, pick it back up again in verse 29, desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus replies, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then so likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, he saw him and also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. When he saw him, He had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and then brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Wow. Pretty direct, pretty simple. Um, Keep that story in mind and the question, who is my neighbor? And let's just take a moment and just review a little bit of our first message about the AO, your area of, obser- your area of um, operation. Paul is making this case throughout the scriptures, and I'm going to read just a little section in 2 Corinthians where he really makes it uh, very clear. He makes this case that God imparts grace to you and I to function within a certain area of operation which he has placed us in to be a steward unto him. And so Paul makes this case, and he does it 
very powerfully in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12 through 13, when he writes and says, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those preachers who, uh, who care commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits. Notice that phrase. But we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. So Paul makes a couple very important points. He says, I'm not like other Christians who are measuring themselves, measuring their accomplishments and how well they're doing as a Christian by comparing themselves to other believers. Instead, and that's not wise, instead I understand that God has given me an area to operate in. And he's given me grace to operate in that area. I didn't receive it from other people, so why am I comparing myself to other people? Instead, I go to God who has given me that grace to operate in that area, and I let him tell me how I'm doing. And he, so he says there's an area of influence God has assigned, and he indicates that God furnishes grace to accomplish the things God wants done in that area when he uses the phrase, the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. So there's an anointing in you to reach people in your area of operation. So say this with me this morning. God has placed me in an AO, area of operation. I have His grace to reach people within this area. Amen. So your area of operation exists within certain boundaries of responsibility for which God has equipped you to be a steward. And the last time we were together, I shared with you that families God has placed you in, relationships He's joined you with, the church He has planted you in, visions that He's called you to, ministries He's assigned you, jobs He's given you, communities He's planted you in, all of these things are the boundaries of your AO, all of those things. So continuing on this morning, let me say to you this. Your AO, or your area of operation, is where you are responsible to do the two great commandments. Love the Lord with all your heart, love your neighbors yourself. Those are not just theological concepts that you're supposed to embrace the world with. They are specific things that God wants you to do within the area that He has planted you. So, we already covered the first commandment, which basically, as I shared the last time, is you understanding you owe to Jesus a stewardship in the area of operation that He's put you in. You love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So, within your AO, you put Jesus first. And you serve Him and you understand, I'm in this marriage, I'm in this family, I'm in this church, I'm in this community, I'm in this area of influence because God's placed me here and I owe to Him a life of obedience. So that's how you fulfill the first commandment. But this morning I want to focus on the second commandment, which is the love your neighbor as yourself. Say it with me, love your neighbor as yourself. 
So now we have to apply the love your neighbor as yourself in your AO. But your own human nature is the first obstacle that you run into when it comes to fulfilling that love your neighbor as yourself commandment. Your own human nature, which, by the way, we get the first glimpse of what the problem is with our human nature in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 9, where, where Cain is confronted by God. Where's your brother? Now we know that his brother's dead because Cain slew him. But Cain turns around and snaps back at God and says to the Lord, when the Lord said, where's your brother? I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, sin's effect upon the human heart was seen in Cain's callous indifference towards his brother. This is not natural in terms of the way God created us to have that kind of reaction. It's natural in God's created order for us to care for our husband, our wife, our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors, the people around us. But you can already see working in the human heart in this first of relationships Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Cain offers God this rationale, but this rationale that he offers to God is lodged deep within every sin-bound human mind. Am I my brother's keeper? And that basic rationale is this. This is the way we would say it today. I can't be responsible for other people. Say it with me. I can't be responsible for other people. How many of you ever said that or felt it in your mind? I can't be responsible for other people. Of course. And the fact is, it's partly true. The reluctance to be held responsible for people that we can't control causes us to maintain a protective isolation from one another. We insulate ourselves from others because we can't control what they do. So we don't want to be accountable. We don't want to be responsible for them. And this is the core frustration in every social order, whether it's a family, whether it's a church, or a town, or a nation. But this is where the breakdown of love your neighbor as yourself takes place. It's the reluctance to be responsible for others because I can't control what you're going to do, so I don't want to get involved too deeply with you and be held accountable for your actions because I don't know what you're going to do. So <clears throat> this, this, this reluctance that was in Cain and is in our minds is part of our human, fallen human nature is the automatic barrier of resistance to the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we're all willing to love our neighbor, but not as we love ourselves. Because we could define how we love our neighbor. Well, my neighbor needs this, in my estimation. My neighbor doesn't need me getting involved. My neighbor... You know, we can define, if we can define what love our neighbor means, then we're all willing to do it. But if we do what Jesus said, and you love your neighbor as yourself, the way you care for yourself, the way you watch out for yourself, you also have that same care for others. That's altogether different. So there's the reluctance. Now, it's absolutely fitting that a lawyer 
wanting to justify himself with his legal mind, was the one who posed the question to Jesus, who is my neighbor? That's a huge question. And I would say to you, that's a legitimate question. Because the lawyer's concerned. He's thinking the same way we think. Well, I can't be responsible for them, so what? Who is my neighbor? Or, let's be specific about it. He's saying, who am I responsible to love? And not just love the way we think of love, but who am I responsible to agape, which is the love of God? Who am I responsible to agape? Who am I responsible to love? And Jesus' answer is profoundly simple. For Jesus simply says, the one that you have to step around to ignore, that's your neighbor. So, the general moral of Jesus' teaching is simple. Love those within your AO. Think with me for just a moment. The world, and a lot of Christians included, often get out from underneath actually fulfilling the second commandment by having this philosophical love for the world. They're concerned for people they're never ever going to have to deal with. They get, they demonstrate in the streets, they write on Facebook, they go on big crusades for people they never are going to have to actually have any responsibility for. It's easy to love people that you have no connection with. But God says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the lawyer says, well, who is the neighbor? Who's the one I'm supposed to uh, show agape to? So this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is only possible for Christians. Christians are the only ones that are actually equipped to fulfill this commandment. Because it takes the first commandment to do the second commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. In other words, take responsibility through your love for God in your AO. Put Jesus first in your family, in your church, on your job, in the area of influence where you live. And then you will have the connection with God with which you can actually love others. With agape, not just friendliness, but with the love of God. Amen? Amen. So, 1 John 4 says, verse 11 and 12, Dear friends, if God so loved us, there's the first commandment, then we also ought to love one another. There's the second commandment. If God loved us, if you've let God love you, if you've received His love, then you ought to love one another. Now listen to what he says. He goes on and says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God resides in us and His love is perfected in us. Now as I read this, I thought that's a strange combination of thoughts to put together in the same sentence. Let me read it to you again. And notice that he brings together two ideas. The idea that we are to love one another and the idea that no one has seen God at any time. What are those two ideas? In a conversation about loving one another and God loving us, why would all of a sudden God interject into that conversation the fact that God is invisible to the human race and that people don't see Him? 
Ask the question of yourself because the answer is profound. Let me read that to you again with that thought in mind that these two seemingly disconnected thoughts are actually very connected. Dear friends, if God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God resides in us and His love is perfected in us. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, people, no one has seen God. The world is saying, where's God? Show me God. I want to see God. I want to know that God's real. And so the Bible says God is love. And so he says, well, if God has loved you, that God has entered your life and He lives in you, then you need to love your neighbor. And as you love your neighbor, you're letting God out so that the world can see Him. Loving your neighbor makes the invisible God visible. That's why Jesus combined the thought of God being invisible with your responsibility to fulfill the commandment to love your neighbor. If the love of God is in you, then you have to love others so that God can be seen. So God is seen in the love that we share among ourselves. And by the way, let me stress to you, this is the true purpose of the second commandment. The love your neighbor as yourself was not God having a kumbaya moment with humanity and feeling that eternal, maternal social worker on the inside, just wanting us all to come together, let's form a circle and pass the talking stick and uh, get along. Can't we all just get along? The purpose of the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, the highest purpose, the ultimate purpose, is so that the invisible God can be seen. It's not for the purpose of polishing social order or making what is impossible, a fallen, broken, antagonistic human heart and a society of them magically get along and create heaven on earth. It's impossible. Jesus came to die for sin because sin has created a hostility among people. And so the answer is not Hostile people loving hostile people. Sinners loving sinners. Broken people trying to heal broken people. Blind people leading blind people. Are you listening to me this morning? He's saying the answer for the broken and the lost and the blind is they need to see Jesus. They need to see the only one that can truly heal and bring deliverance. And so the purpose of the second commandment is to make the invisible God visible. By loving your neighbor as yourself, you're not healing your neighbor. You're not taking on their burden. You are injecting God into their situation so that God can move. Somebody say praise the Lord. So therefore, if we look at that verse again in 1 John, he says, if God loved you, then love one another. You see why he's saying that? So that the Lord can move from you to your neighbor. Let me say to you that agape... It's not a commandment to feel, it's a commandment to do. It's not a sentiment, it's an action. I don't think I, maybe I'll try English. I wish I could speak, I wish I was better at Spanish because I would say it in Spanish, you'd get it. Agape is not a commandment to feel. It's a commandment to do. 
He's not saying go forth and feel something. He's saying go forth and do something. Let me just share a verse with you that will really bring that thought out. Again, also in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 through 21, down a little further, John writes, If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his fellow Christian, he is a liar. Now, <clears throat> that's harsh, but let me pause for a moment and simply say that um, the truth is all about manifesting the love of God. Manifesting like that's all about the truth. And so the truth of a Christian is if the agape love of God is manifest in their life. And so God wants to make sure that if we say, I love God, that it's true because it manifests in the second commandment, not just in people claiming that they fulfill the first commandment. Uh, because, he says, because the one who does not love his fellow Christian whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And the commandment we have received from him is this, that the one who loves God should love his fellow Christian also. So can I say to you this morning, it's not love until it becomes an action. It's not love until it becomes an action. Again in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, John writes, We have come to know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Thus, we ought to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians. But whoever has this world's possession sees his fellow Christian in need, shuts off his compassion against him. How can the love of God reside in such a person? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So God wants basically to manifest John 3.16 through us. See, John 3.16 wasn't over with when Jesus came into the world. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he did what? Love is not a sentiment, it's an action. It's not something you think, it's something you, it's something you do. And that's the way God is. God didn't just think or feel love for us. If God said, I have love in my heart towards you, would he be telling the truth? Yes, but how would we ever know it if he didn't show it? So God's not going to be accused of being a liar. Would it be true? God could have stayed in eternity and said, I love the human race. But true agape would not allow God to remain isolated in eternity while we damned ourselves to an eternity of separation from him. Love made God step and condescend into our circumstance and do agape on our behalf. So we see here that the scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, as I said to you a moment ago, that John 3.16 doesn't end with Jesus coming into the world. Jesus is still coming into the world. He died on the cross, he rose from the dead, but he's still going forth into the world through the second commandment applied in the AO of every ambassador for Christ. You are Christ's ambassador in your AO, and God wants to continue to flow John 3.16 into the world. For God so loved 
Jerry Humschild's corner of the world. Wherever Jerry goes with her business or meeting people, John 3.16 wants to operate through her. God so loved the world of Jerry Humschild that he gave. Now he can't give if Jerry doesn't give. Jerry's got to give. She's got to love her neighbor as herself or John 3.16 stops dead and her AO goes dark. Are you listening to me? Now we think as people and individuals about our AO. We think about our family. We also think about our church. Is our church dead? Is it dark? Is John 3.16 actually going forth and functioning from our church? Is Jesus really, well, to the extent that you and I, to the extent that you and I are loving our neighbor as ourself, and only to that extent is God actually moving in our church. He's not moving anymore. People say, well, what's the Lord doing in your church? Oh, God is, I had a vision. Mm, God is doing great things. Well, yeah, we can have visions and dreams all day long, and God can do awesome things, but He's really only doing what you're doing. He's not really doing any more than what you're doing. It's not your dreams and visions. It's what you're actually doing. That man puts John 3.16 to work in your AO. That's why Paul said, those guys are, are not wise who compare their ministries and their lives to one another and what they know and what degrees they have and what they're able to do. He said, we don't, that's foolish. He said, I only boast in the responsibility that God has given me and how much I'm actually doing to fulfill that. And how do I fulfill it? By practicing the first and the second commandment. Love God and love my neighbor as myself. Somebody say praise the Lord if you're beginning to get this this morning. So let me just say to you that the first place for you to love your neighbor as a Christian is to help your fellow church members grow in Christ. That's the first place for you to love your neighbors. To sit in front of the TV and say, this, this cause about the hungry in Afghanistan. Now, I'm not diminishing the hungry in Afghanistan. That's fine. Oh, the homeless people over in Tampa. Or whatever the situation is. That's all fine. It's well and good if, if God's really moving on your heart. But where is your AO really? Where is your AO? Where do you live? Where do you lay your head at night? Where do you sleep? With whom do you have relationships? Who are the members of the body? Who are really connected to you as a body? That's the first place where you are to practice the second commandment. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Now, it's fine to give $10 a month to the refugees in Syria. That's great. That's fine. In a sense, I suppose, in the, if you stretch the sense of neighbor, you could say, well, they're my global neighbor. But that's the problem with the world today. That's why there's so much striving and fighting as everybody's all worked up in a lather over people they have no connection with, over things that are going on in the world that they have no connection with. They're getting mad over stuff they're not even involved with. And I'm getting worked up thinking about it. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is very simple. If we would pull back to our AO, 
and concentrate on what God has put us in. Where am I really anointed? Where has God really given me grace? Am I wasting my emotion, wasting my mind, wasting my mental energy on stuff that's way outside of the boundaries of my AL? You know, you cannot put $10 in an envelope and send it halfway around the world and think that you have fulfilled the second commandment. And I, you may not like to hear that. That may bother you. And I'm not trying to take away your confidence in the, in the benevolence that you show. But let me tell you that as far as God's concerned, as far as Jesus is concerned, the person you have to stumble over, where you walk, where you live, that's your neighbor. And the Lord said, that's where you need to put that $10. That's where you need to put your time. That's where you need to put your effort. That's where you need to sow yourself. See, a lot of people don't want to get involved with the people that are around them because they, they can see, well, you know, I don't really know if I want to get involved with her life or his life because, you know, I, I, you know they, they do things different than I do them. And if I get involved with them, I'm, I'm just going to have to become responsible for them. And, I, and I, I just don't want to do that. And so we isolate ourselves from the very people that God's called us to be involved with because we think that being involved with them means we've got to run their life or we've got to be responsible for the way they do things. You cannot put 10 bucks in an envelope and send it to Timbuktu and be excused from your responsibility to people right here in your own body, the people in your own household, the people that you actually have connections with. That's where the Lord is watching to see what are you doing with the grace I've given you. You know, when Jesus gave the talents, they went and worked in their own community to double and triple those talents and multiply them. They labored right where they were planted and they were rewarded for operating in their own AO when Jesus came back. So let me just um, say to you in general and then in specific. In general, the first place where you practice the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is your Christian neighbor. That's why I read you those verses in 1 John. Is those were not general verses about your relationship to the world. How can you love the invisible God if you don't love your Christian brother? Because too many people think that means, oh, if I don't love everybody in the world. Well, I love everyone in the world. I just don't particularly like those people that are right around me. I don't want to get involved with those people right around me. They're not my type or they bother me or whatever. Um, but I, I do love the world. And see, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. Because the responsibility is to care for the people that are right around you. So the first place to do it is right here in the household of faith. And now let me be specific and, and just, I'm going to close with just three little scriptures that bring out, that bring this point out. And that is specifically the newly saved. You have a responsibility as the family of God to make sure that the babes in Christ are being provided for, their diapers are being changed and they're being fed and they're being taken care of. In a way, the older children don't need that kind of care. The adults don't require that kind of care. <clears throat> now, we have a couple of mothers in our church that are about to have some babies. 
And they've been there before. They've, they've had some babies, so they know what to do. But I guarantee you they're not going to go have those babies and bring them home from the hospital and toss them in the crib <clears throat> and then call them at dinner time. They're not going to do that. They're not going to put them to bed at night and say, now sleep tight, love you, see you in the morning. They're going to take the time to nurture because the, that's what the baby needs. And so the scripture says in Matthew 28 and 19, go therefore, again, go therefore, you can see love is a command to do and make disciples. So the command to every Christian is go make disciples. In Colossians 3 and 16, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all with grace in your hearts to God. So he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All right, if you heard this message this morning, you're thinking, wow, that was good. I really got something to think about and, and those scriptures, and I'm going to meditate on that. So what do I do with it? How does the word of Christ dwell in me richly? Well, he says it right there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another. So the way that God's word dwells and grows in you is because you encourage your neighbor with the word of God. Otherwise, it's being wasted. If you're just learning and not encouraging others around you with the word, it's being wasted on you. What are you doing to lift up other believers around you? Are you encouraging them? When you get together with them and you speak about the daily events and the things of the world and all the other things we talk about, which are fine, no criticism, are we also at the same time remembering that if the love of God dwells in me, I should be lifting up my sister, lifting up my brother with the word of God. I should be encouraging them. Are we discipling one another? Are we speaking truth one to another? Are we encouraging one another in the things of God? And again, the first thing we think about is you obviously want to realize that the young that don't know the word, they don't have that built into They need to have the word built into them. So when you see a person just getting saved, you ought to be thinking, I need to go and share the word with them. I need to help them learn the word of God. I need to sow the word into them. I need to bring them into a nurturing relationship. I need to enter into a mentoring relationship so that the love in me can show itself by me nurturing and helping others. And listen, just so that you understand, I thought to me this was a little comical. Uh, it makes a powerful point. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, all with grace in your heart to the Lord. I love the fact that he was careful to put in, do it all with grace, so that he just immediately takes off the table the busybody, the know-it-all, who thinks they need to go around and correct everybody. So this is, and, and by the way, we should be correcting one another. But, as long as grace is working, as long as we're ministering in grace. And you know, you can always tell the difference between when it's grace and when it's not grace. When it's grace, love is speaking. I really care about you. I care about you doing well. So the way that I'm approaching you is I'm approaching you in a way that I would want to be approached. I'm sharing with you in a way that has your best good in mind. I'm not just dispensing a responsibility. I need to correct you. I see something wrong. I need to, you know, straighten it out. That's not grace. 
That's just a know-it-all. So, let the word of Christ dwell in you, teaching, exhorting one another with all grace. You know, being a Christian and fulfilling the second commandment takes maturity. It's easy, and I can see why a lot of Christians want to belong to a church that just doesn't practice that. Because you just go, it's just you, and you got your friends, but you get your message, you, you, it feeds into your life, and you leave. And you don't have any accountability, no responsibility, no, none of this stuff that creates messes and calls for the need to make adjustments and grow. But that's what the body is. And that's why we need to take care of our area of responsibility, our area of operation through those two commandments. And the final scripture I want to share with you says in Ephesians 4 and 15, but practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ who is the head. That's how we're going to get there. That's how we're going to be the believer that, and the church that God wants us to be is by practicing. Again, the second commandment is not a sentiment. It's, it's a commandment to do. It's an action. Practicing the truth in love, we will all grow up into Christ who is the head. Close your Bible. Stand with me.